Hi, welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm Hannah. I'm David, uh, and today we're 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 all social isolating. We're all social distancing, and uh, we're all really experiencing this pandemic. And I thought, you know, why not, uh, you know, make light of it by exploring some of our most treasured pandemic literature and film. Um, yeah, specifically, we're we're really focusing in on um, one novel and the three film adaptations that it spawned. Yeah, because I think that this this novel, I Am Legend, uh, it's it's sort of the source of like every zombie outbreak movie that's happened since the the fifties, right? Um, this was like the inspiration for uh, the Night of the Living Dead, the um, the George Romero version, uh, the George Romero film, I should say. <laughs> and yeah, like Richard Matheson is this author who wrote a lot of science fiction, cheap literature, short. Didn't you he know, uh, he write for some uh, Twilight Zone episodes as well? Yeah. I think that's like the best way to, describe. you know, at the, at the time, you know, Ron Sterling, Rod Sterling was all about uh, finding talent for sci-fi writing, just people who would publish in newspapers and in the New Yorker and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he would take them and just say, all right, now I'll write a screenplay based on your stuff, or you can write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And Matheson wrote a lot of screenplays, one of which was uh, an adaptation of I Am Legend, the novel, which became a film called The Last Man on Earth. Mm-hmm. And then that was uh, that was re-adapted three, uh, ten years later to The Omega Man. And then everybody knows the 2007 version of I Am Legend with Will Smith. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's become a, you know, a cultural staple of, of sorts. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a story that, oddly enough, has sort of been visited over and over again um, since since the 60s and it's interesting because you know this has definitely had such a major impact on sort of modern zombie storytelling but it really bears like almost no resemblance to like some of the more modern versions of uh right well everything builds off of the next thing right? right it's it's all you lose some of the essentials and you gain just weird sort of skin tags of of storytelling yeah um as as time goes by i can we like one of the main things is that like this the novel is not about zombies no. and doesn't use the word zombie because that had a totally different connotation it was about vampires yeah which were the original undead infectious beings yeah um, I, that's been the biggest thing about all of these movies is that, you know, it is, it's basically vampires that are the villain the entire time. And I think, I think the one where it works the least <laughs> is probably the 2007 version, um, having them be like these strange vampire creatures. Um, but, but we'll get there. Why don't, why don't we go through these chronologically and sort of track the development, um, Right. As we go through. So to start with the novel, I mean, it, it, it's sort of, I would say, loosely sort of connected to the the Mary Shelley um, 
the Mary Shelley novel, uh, The Last Man, which was sort of the primordial origin of all plague literature in mm. sci-fi. Um, you know, Mary Shelley tends to start most of those things because <laughs> she's great. Um, but it was like really poorly received at the time. It was like, this is cliche, you know, everyone's done a last person on earth story. But what made it unique was the idea that it was focusing on plague and, and plague taking over the world and that that ends society. Right. Um, and the idea that like there could be an end <laughs> was sort of like hard to believe an end that wasn't sort of divinely inspired, like, like the, you know, Rapture the book of revelations. Like yeah or the rapture, that it could be something natural to the world, but not divine, uh, that could just end humanity, is a very scary thought. And I think that uh, Matheson wanted to take that and apply it to vampires, which are spooky and supernatural and fun, and he <laughs> likes vampires. He does. He, he apparently loves them. Do you, do you want to give everyone just like a quick rundown of, of like the plot? Right, so the plot, and this is consistent throughout all the versions, is there's this guy. Uh, sometimes he is a different name, but usually his name is uh, Robert Neville. Yeah. And, and he's like a government virologist or scientist of some kind. Yeah. And he survives a massive world pandemic that kills most of the population, and some of those who die come back as vampiric, mindless monsters who try to eat people and suck out their blood. <laughs> um, and then somewhere along the line, as he's going around hunting these these monsters to kill them, he comes across someone in a between state. You, it's, it's a woman, always, yeah. who is either infected um, but hasn't turned or who is... Uh, you know, pretending to be normal but is actually infected or somebody who um, is just also immune but is uh, is not, uh, you know, not following the same guidelines that he is. Mm -hmm. So he meets a woman, basically, after being Alone. isolated for three years. He's the last man on Earth for three years. Um, and then, whatever, follows this woman into some kind of trap and almost always ends up dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, pretty, pretty much. Um, so is there any, like, like what do you see as sort of the major themes of, of the book specifically? Right. So, so the book is way more focused than any of the adaptations on Neville's sexuality. Mm. It's, it's constantly referenced that, like, there's female vampires who would try and, like, entice him to come outside by, like, showing their bodies and trying to seduce him. Ooh. And, you know, the fact that he's, you know, like, in later adaptations we'll see, like, when the woman comes into his life, it's sort of like he's not socially capable <laughs> of interacting with a woman anymore. But in the book, because we see his internal monologue... Um, it becomes very clear that the main reason that he can't interact with these women is because he's genuinely worried that he's going to v violate, as the book terms it, these women. Oh. That he's going to take the take advantage of them because he's a man and there's no witnesses. Um, so it's <laughs> very dark. And it's 
I mean, it's clearly supposed to be, like, in a negative light, but I think the implication is kind of, like, any man given three years of isolation will probably... Ravage be a worried, woman. You know, <laughs> right. Um, the first woman that he sees. Uh, yeah, that's definitely... Like, like, I understand that, you know, he's trying to be like, he's not like all those savage men, but it definitely plays into that idea that, you know, like, ah, oh, men just can't help it. They're just like that. Right. You can't blame them. Yeah, that's the that's sort of the main thing. And then to kind of add on to that, the the um, it's it's like a fem. Oh yeah, when you add on to that, the the femme fatale aspect of of this woman character, uh, how she's deceiving him into thinking that she's healthy mm. when she's really infected and spying on him to destroy him. Okay. Um, for the vampire human hybrid people Mm -hmm. like that sort of adds to the kind of misogynistic overtones to the film or to the the, to the book yeah um yeah like there's definitely these are not necessarily the best movies for um women they're portrayals of women yeah they're portrayals of women so surprising um I don't think a single one of them passes the Bechdel test, though. To be fair to the movies, there's only like three people in most of them, so it's hard. That's pretty tough when there's only like three characters who even speak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, they don't. They don't pass the Bechdel test. They pass the um, listening to white men ramble for hours and o- hours on end to themselves so long. test. So much. Is there a test for that? Because that's a pretty good test I just think of that's called whether movies. your film is incredibly indulgent. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Uh, so so yeah. So that's that's what happens in the book. How do, how does the book end? Oh well, the other thing with the book is that it's way more concerned with like the logic of how a vampire exists, okay. which is very like true to science fiction of that time. You know, I mean, I would say it was all about like even now. Oh oh, for sure. But I mean, it was very concerned with okay. So why the stake? Okay, so the stake it'll kill them even if it doesn't go through their heart because it penetrates the body glue was like a thing uh. that they talk about and they have like a healing factor but if you get through the healing factor and keep them exposed to air then the bacteria becomes anaerobic and oh. then you decompose ah or wait would and it be aerobic it answers the age-old question if it's exposed to air oh yeah it becomes aerobic that's what i meant yeah um and then the it answers the age-old question that nobody was asking was do jewish vampires fear the cross this is, i'm so excited do they david no, they do not. They fear the Torah. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. Uh, you know, I'll have to. I'll have to go back to my parents' house once once uh, our current plague has passed and and grab uh, my little mini Torah out of right. the basement. I think it's interesting because it's not quite a process of demythification, but it's like trying to apply scientific language to myth. I mean, that feels, Um, like, very... I don't know. Like, I definitely recognize that as a trend um, in at least certain, like, young adult books that that I've read, where, you know... Oh, for sure, You know, it's not necessarily that, like, oh, werewolves don't exist or something, but they exist, but it works like this. Or, you know, magic exists, but it's 
conferred by like right. It's an establishment of rules, yeah. which is pretty standard for fiction. But what's unique about this is that it all has to be reduced to science. Mm-hmm. So they're not uh, they don't hate garlic. They're allergic to this particular acidic smell. Mm. Um, and the mirrors, it's not that they can't be seen in a mirror or that they hate mirrors. It's that they hate the the sight of themselves, oh. um, and that doesn't always work. The mirrors, because if they you know don't hate themselves, then they aren't afraid of seeing their own reflection. But it's very traumatizing to see yourself as a monster, okay. and so that's why they hate mirrors. Got it's it. like it's a lot of stuff like that. All right, and the fact that it's a virus instead yeah. of you know Being a curse. Bitten. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so how how does the book end? So the book ends with uh, he finds out that the, this woman that he's led into his house is not uh, is not healthy. Uh-huh. She's been infected with the disease, but uh-huh. instead of either dying or turning into a monster, they've come up with sort of a temporary cure where you use like like watered down blood uh, plasma and some kind of partial vaccine to sort of temporarily treat it. And so those people who have found this partial cure have formed like a new society where they still have to feed on blood um, and they still have to, you know, they're still not quite human, but they can survive. And so they form this new society and it's all about how society moves on from humanity after humanity is gone. Mm. And, And you find out that, okay, it turns out that um, that Neville has been killing a bunch of people from this society Mm -hmm. that aren't total monsters. And he didn't realize it because he just assumed that they would all turn into monsters eventually. Right. um, Because they were infected. Um, So he's been killing them. And so he's become a monster to the new vampire society. And the vampires all track him down. And they lock him up and, and, and they, they wound him, but they don't kill him because they want him to stand trial. But then he commits suicide rather than becoming dead to their society. Mm. Um, you know, because he's like, you aren't human, you're monsters. Uh, and, and that's how it ends. Okay. Uh, all right. So, so that's the book that all three of these films um, are ba- is based on. But let's let's get into them. Let let's do this. Um, starting with the Last yeah. Man on Earth, which was a, a 1964 production. Um, right. So this it one. It was like a cheap Italian film. It was it was shot in Rome, I think. It was like a cheap B movie. Um, <laughs> it feels so much like a Twilight Zone episode. It does. Right? It it very much does feel like an extended Twilight Zone episode. Um, and you know, opens, I I think like, from oh my God. from everything I've read and everything you've described, this one seems to be the most um, true to the book out of out of all of them. Well, it's the most true to the book, certainly. But um, the the different the thing was like it was written the screenplay was written by Richard Matheson, but they changed so much of it, uh, <laughs> which seems to be largely removing all of the sex. Um, <laughs> which you know, I'm gonna say good call. I good call or bad call it changes the film significantly from the book um and, and so he actually took his name off of it and he used uh, a, a pen name ah. um all right well this one stars used, Vincent yeah. Price Logan Swanson was the <laughs> his fake name that he uses for scripts that he doesn't like uh yeah Vincent oh Price That's... oh my god 
Wow. I love him. He's, I love him so much. He's so great at this. It's delightful. I mean, he plays certainly a man who has lost all touch with society. Yeah, and, and the reality. <laughs> Curse this foul stench upon humanity <laughs> and Vincent Price. Oh, he's so good. Uh, I love him. So I love yeah, B movies. The, I think they're great. One of one of my favorite lines of his from uh, early in the film is, you know, he's he's sort of coming out of the house to start the day, and there's a bunch of like dead bodies of vampires on his like front lawn, and he just yeah. says, "More for the pit." <laughs> <laughs> More for the murder pile. More for the pit. Throw them. <laughs> they live off the weak ones and leave them for the pit. <laughs> This garlic has lost its pungency. <laughs> I need more mirrors. They shatter them every night. <laughs> yeah, and he's got his Jewish friend in this one, right? The uh, the Ben something. Oh, is that who's who's Jewish in in the book? Yeah, he's the Jewish vampire in the book. <laughs> who's, I... <laughs> who's only afraid of <laughs> the Torah? Yeah. Um. <laughs> what? Wouldn't like a mezuzah or something work too? I don't know. Well, I don't, we I don't think cons- this guy was Jewish no. who wrote the book. No, I don't think he realized that there's other <laughs> symbols that are easier to carry. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll say interestingly for this one, it definitely seems less concerned with, uh, like, religion. You know, like, there there's no, like, holding of, like, crosses, really. It's mostly, like, the garlic and the mirrors that they seem to focus yeah, on. Yeah, that's... That's true. And, I think also and like it's just more... like, they all show up in a church at the end and, like, are fine, you know? It's not, like, hallowed ground. Right. right. I also think that it's just less concerned with the, you know, the, the logic of the world and such. It's more, you know, like the title, it's more about being the last man on Earth and, right. you know, finally finding a woman and, like, having to kidnap her and keep her in your house <laughs> so she doesn't escape. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's exactly that, and it's like that in the book too. Uh-huh. Just the 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 scene with Vincent Price where he's going like, "Why do you fear the garlic?" and shoving it like right into her face, yeah. and then having the woman immediately go like, "Listen, all right, you chased me down, <laughs> you drugged me, and uh, and kidnapped me, and took me to your house, and I didn't want you to, <laughs> and now you're shoving garlic in my face, <laughs> calling me a vampire." <laughs> What do you want from me, sir? You expect me to not feel ill. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think she maybe wins the award for for second best female character in all of these. I I like all of the characters. I mean, like they're not necessarily realistic, but I I like all of these guys. I I, I should just say I really like all of these films for what they are in different ways. Okay. I think they're all genuinely good films that people should watch. <laughs> and so, if you don't want spoilers for the rest of them, I mean, I I think at least like the Will Smith one is worth watching without spoilers. Is it? Hey, whatever, you know? Disagree with me, I don't well, care. Well, alright, I'm gonna say... I like these movies. If, if you don't want spoilers, maybe come back to this episode after after watching these. Um, you'll probably get more out of it, because I, yeah, I would I like mean, to I don't think we've spoiled spoiler. anything that ruins that ruins anything necessarily I mean, yet. so far. But just, yeah, yeah, just watch Omega Man and watch uh, I Am Legend with Will Smith, and you'll, you'll get something out of it, yeah. I, I feel. 
Um, okay, so... So, what what I think I really like The Last Man on Earth for, this is the one where I felt, um, you know, sort of that, that feeling of loneliness and sort of monotony yeah. of the days the most. Um, like, you know, he, he just goes around town and scavenges a bunch of stuff and then wanders around murdering some vampires for most of his day and then comes home and they all surround his house at night and... Yell, come yeah. out, come Robert. out, wherever you are. <laughs> Robert. Um, just sort of, like, haunt him in the evenings. Uh, yeah, I I think what works for me is just the sheer, like, piles of bodies. Yeah. Um, which we don't necessarily see in the other ones. We have a lot of flashbacks in this to his, his happy suburban life with his wife, yeah. Virginia. And, like, um... We're seeing, like, the denial, which, you know, is, it's not really a theme in the other ones either. The denial of the disease and the need to sort of reject science because it's just unthinkable that these, like, monsters would be emerging. Right. Um, or... I think that relates to what we're going through right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, so, so one of the staples throughout most of these films is the fact that um, or most versions of the story is that he does have a wife and kid who die due to the disease. Um, though, you know, how they die sort of changes from adaptation to adaptation. Um, and, right. you know, like, it, it's definitely been interesting looking at these these movies and sort of seeing some of the steps that public officials sort of take and the measures that they take to um, get information out to the public uh, it's, it's, it's interesting sort of just to look at how it, it compares with our, our current situation. You know, a lot of, um, right. you know, don't, don't go out in public. There's like a, a disease that's infecting people across the globe. Um, you know, just that sort of feeling right. of And I think, you know, what, what, what good pandemic literature and film d does is it takes something that's like absolutely a fear, which is being quarantined. And then it takes it and makes it a grand scale. Like in, in this, the, the entirety of Los Angeles gets quarantined, mm -hmm. you know, the whole city. And, you know, that's doubly scary. And, you know, there's fear, like we can't call a doctor because they might just kill our daughter. <laughs> I mean, that's terrifying. Right. Or, you know, they, they might take them and you'll never see them again because they're going to die, you know? Right. Um, and that's, that's why I feel like this adaptation more than like any of them feels the most like it was reacting to the same thing that most uh, of the Twilight Zone episodes are reacting to, which is it's, it's anti-fascism and mob rule. And I think that the, the mob of sort of half vampires mm -hmm. at the end is the most mobbish of all of the um, all the versions that we see. They feel the most fascisty because they're like, "Oh, you're going to put me on trial." It's like, no, they're pretty much just going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, I I did think it was interesting at the end of um, at the end of the Last Man on Earth that uh, you know the the woman who he kidnaps he he develops a cure for her basically using um, his own blood. 
Um, and that's another right. thing that, that sort of uh, carries through. It's different from the book. Yeah. Yeah. There's no cure in the book exact exactly. It's just like, you know, there's a potential that you could cure somebody, maybe, um, but it's lost with, with him when right. he dies. And, you know, I feel like it's the same for this, but there's also a potential hopefulness in that the woman who has been cured... I, either they'll kill her because she <laughs> represents this old order that must be destroyed for the new world order. Um, or they'll, you know, use her blood to cure them. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very possible. Um, but so, you know, they the mob that comes for him at the end, they sort of chase him uh, to this, like, church. And, you know, they kill him on, um, on the altar. Uh, it's very symbolic. <laughs> Um, but, but the, the reaction of the woman, like she is, you know, it, it very much reminded me of, um, you know, like monster movies where, you know, the woman has bonded with the monster and is sort of like, no, he's just misunderstood. Like, don't kill him because, you know, he's become a monster to these people. He, he is the thing that lurks in the day, you know, um, kills people in the bed. Um, yeah. And so, you know, she now knows that, like, he didn't know. He he was misunderstood this whole time. Yeah. We should have trusted him. And, it, and it's just interesting to to have it cast kind of in that light in, in the final It's very moment. Twilight Zone, basically. Yeah. It's like, the monster the whole time, it was man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's how I feel about it. Right, right. Um, but, yeah. So, uh yeah, it it also ends with a baby crying and the lady <laughs> oh, like God. comforts him or or whatever, but it's it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. Um. The um. The, there is one you know one thing. Uh, the dog. The the dog in this one is cute. The dog is very cute. Um, <laughs> but it's really just a blip. You know, it's truly there and then not there. You know. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, uh, the, it, but that's true in the in the book as well because it's part of that is just to explain the vampire mythology of like you know can vampires turn into dogs, and it's like no, they're just also vampire dogs, <laughs> um, and people just got confused. Here, here's my question with the vampire dog: he didn't like burn it, did he? He just buried it. Oh, I don't know. Shouldn't he have um, burned it in the movie? That's that's my that's plot hole. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember. That's that that wasn't something that I focused on was the method of disposal, but that is something that the book talks about a lot. Um I just can't remember what the point was. Right. Um yeah. There there's also a theme throughout these movies that, you know, the the main character Robert Neville sort of believes that these vampires aren't people and then is usually proven wrong in some way. Um, though I guess that's mostly true for for the book and then The Last Man on Earth and I Am Legend. The exception to kind of all of these is the Omega Man. Um, and this one was my right. favorite. This was great. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's great, and I was worried that you would just hate no, it. No, it's incredible, um, and I think everyone should watch The Omega Man. The other movies I could kind of <laughs> leave or take. 
Actually, that's not true. <laughs> I, I think The Last Man on Earth is certainly worth a watch if you enjoy film history, if you enjoy The Twilight Zone, if you enjoy sort of speculative fiction. I, I would say, you know, th- there's things to enjoy about The Last Man on Earth. If you just like a good fucking time, get on board for the Omega Man because it's delightful. <laughs> it's so seventies and it's great. Well, it's to me, it just feels exactly like a, a spiritual successor to Planet of the Apes in every yeah. way, shape, and form. I've... Specifically, Charlton Heston, <laughs> who is a gift from God. He is so good. Oh my god. He he just has a He just ball. walks around wearing this safari jacket and a short sleeve pink button-up shirt. Oh yeah. And he's got his like super receding hairline and he just goes around cracking one-liners to himself. To himself. And going like the whole he, movie. He just like goes to see a movie and he's like, "Yeah, they don't make them like this anymore." Also, whoever wrote the script for this just like deserves an award because it's truly just like <laughs> the dialogue is so bizarre, but it's absolutely delightful. Yeah, it was a it was a husband and wife uh, pair of writing team uh, by the name of uh, John and Joyce. Corrington. Okay. Uh, and I don't know if they ever did like anything else. Um, <laughs> but like, I think they were more like former professional, like scientists and psychologists and stuff oh, interesting. who sort of got into screenwriting in this boom of, of science fiction. Um, and so they were super, they were super interested in like the, the, you know, the science fiction aspect of like, okay, what's an interesting way that we could create these monsters? And they were like, oh, well, it's not going to be vampires anymore because that's, that's done. That's, it's been done to death. Instead, we're going to do its germ warfare from the Chinese and the, and the Russians. Yeah. Again, it's very 70s, very the Cold War is raging, you know. Right. And then they literally... The movie that he goes to see in the theaters, and it's like the last movie that was ever made, was Woodstock. Yeah. How good is that? It's so like, good, and we just get to watch part of Woodstock for like five minutes. Like, so is it? Like, I I I, I struggle with what it's saying. Is it saying that that uh, the hippies caused this by their inability to go to Vietnam? No, 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 no. He's he's saying... That the hippies were right, and they, this proves them right. Yeah, he's saying the hippies are right. That's, that's what I think, because, you know, the movie sort of ends with some group of survivors sort of heading out into the, the wilderness to... To start a new in a van. like in a van to start a new Garden of Eden somewhere where there's no hatred, right. it's just peace and love, and they won't right. they won't so talk to the snake this time. So then I guess the family, time. which is what they call the vampire monster guys, yeah, I guess they sort of represent like the dark side of hippiedom, the conservative hippie, the the Manson family type. Is it like hippiedom? To me, it it was just like the mob and also like the church because you know like it's very much right it is definitely like religious but they're so they're like these they're these albino albinos wearing sunglasses they're all great (laughs) with with sharp teeth and they've got uh big you know goofy black hoods and they all run around getting caught on fire and stuff (laughs) um and they 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 call themselves the family and they're led by this former news anchor turned evil zombie vampire um (laughs) matthias named matthias 
And I think the the implication is like they're because they're anti technology, right? Yeah. And they're sort of anti. And there's a there's a line where there's a black albino. Oh vampire my god, it's dude, great. And he says. Uh, he, he calls uh, Charlton Heston's uh, house, which is sort of like a fortress. He calls it like a, a honky paradise. palace or no, something. No, he says yeah. honky paradise. And then the Matthias turns to him and says, forget the old ways, brother. All your old hatred, all your old pain. <laughs> right. So they're like anti-racist. Well, they're like, they're, well, they're, they're not kind anti-racist. Of... They're post-racial is what they are. Sure. So, but, like, is it trying to say that's good and also the anti-technology, anti-progress is, is good? I don't think or... so, because they're definitely, like, villains, you know? Right. And I mean, to me, my interpretation of it, and this is, like, not based on what they're implying or what they're intending, but just the way that I read it is always, like, okay, so the hippies were right, but the hippies also have this sort of hidden conservatism to them in that... They want everything to kind of return to nature in the natural ways, and they're anti-society. And so this is like the dark side of hippiedom. That's my interpretation of it. I mean, I guess. I, I definitely didn't re- read it as that way. I read it more as, you know, these... It's definitely anti-conservative. What, the film? Or the the vampires? The like the vampires are the conservatives, kind yes, of, because yeah. they're like they're luddite, they're religious, yeah. they're conformist. Yeah. Um, they turn the black people into white people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do also murder quite a few black people. Um, I guess just the one, but still. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It's very interesting. Like, it's definitely not, like, a politically consistent movie, because it's very into Charleston Heston just, like, shooting guns all over the place, and thinks that's, like, the coolest and best thing in the world. Um, Well, there is that one throwaway line where the guy's, like, (laughs) where where, um, the woman that he finds in this, like, hidden colony of of infected but not dead people, Uh um, like, they're not fully turned. Yeah. Uh, And so he he finds them and they're like, well, we would have reached out to you sooner, except you kept shooting everything that moved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But but Charleston Heston has, like, a couple of, like, weird, random, like, one-liners. Like, he gets a flat tire and it's kind of like... There's never a Where's cop around cop when, you, when need you need one. Yeah, but that's but that's like a that's like a line. It's yeah. like a cliche of, you know, like because people would get flat tires and in the time before cell phones and AAA, you would just ask for a policeman to, you know, help you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so, it wasn't so like I mean, a political statement in favor of police. <laughs> no, I I know it's not it's not that. But there there's he Charleston Heston gets captured by the vampires at, at one point in the movie. Um, and, you know, they, they have him sort of splayed out and they do this like strange, uh, like ritual where he's like tied to a post and they're like, he is the evil. He is of the old ways. He must be buried. He is dead. Um, (laughs) but then they like take him to the questioning room and it's like very. No, he said, take them to the little room for the questioning. Where we do the questioning. No, 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 it's the questioning. It's the best line. It's so good. Take them to the little room. I, I like, want to write a drinking game for this movie. It's so, so good. Uh, but then Every it, time that Charlton Heston wears an insane costume. Or doesn't like, have a shirt on. He dresses up like, 
or doesn't have a shirt on. Yeah, like sometimes he's dressed up like uh, Austin Powers, yeah. and like he's got like a other times he's... Right. He wears a great ascot looks for like, like the, the first. Looks like the million the dollar or the what is it? The sixteen million dollar man or whatever. Yeah. That's called. Every time he uh, casually just like shoots off the gun and is like, "Nip, another day, another dead vampire." Um, like this one is definitely the most casual about like killing uh, the bad guys. Um, but it's because also it's badass. But it's all it is. It's badass. It's also interesting because this is the one where this is the only time we actually get to see the society of the the vampires. You know, well, it's the only one where they where the monsters talk. Right. In, in every other version, the the monster, the fully transformed vampires that actually look like vampires, mm-hmm. they are mindless beasts. Yeah. But in this one, they they decided that instead of having the infected healthy vampires who are still like intelligent and form the new vampire society and then the monstrous vampires it's it's there's people who are infected but aren't fully infected mm-hmm. and the infected who are forming the new society right um so it's it's a slightly different thing, but it's still conveying the same idea, which is that there's a new society that's replacing right. our preconceived ideas of human supremacy, that humans are the end-all, be-all of the world, right. which is the same thing as Planet of the Apes, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I think because of that, this one feels like the least isolated, where, you know, the main character, um, he... Like, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily, like... He still like... feels pretty isolated to me. I mean, this is the one that starts the trend of molesting, uh... <laughs> m- molesting, uh, 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 mall, mall dummies. What do you call them? <laughs> Mannequins? <laughs> mall dummies. Whatever you call them, those things. I mean, yes, he, he definitely... Like, he feels lonely, but he definitely doesn't feel isolated, you know? Like, he, he knows that the bad guys are people. Like, he, he kind of... Sure, yeah. Talks to them and, like, hunts them down and, like, tries to question them. You know, like, like I think there's definitely just, like, a psychological difference between I'm fighting a pack of basically lions, you know, who I can never have right. a conversation with, and I'm fighting an enemy that I know can talk. I just think I just the difference is that it's, it's the difference between the Twilight Zone and Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Which was written by Rod Serling, right? Was it? Planet of the Apes... The, not the book, obviously, the, the movie. Yeah, well, Rod Serling and Michael Wilson. Okay. Who I don't know who that is. But um, the point being, like, there's a... You know, there's a, a shift from Twilight Zone science fiction to 70s science fiction where it kind of becomes, like, a fun apocalypse. Yeah. Like, the apocalypse becomes fun, you know? This apocalypse Charles and Heston, is pretty fun. He drives around in a sports car when he's shooting the vampires yeah. with a cool machine gun instead of, I need to run my dowel through <laughs> the, to make the stakes that will penetrate the vampires. Oh, it's a tortured existence of right. mine. Um, and instead, like, Charlton Heston's over here just like, I'm going to the movies. I've watched this movie so many times I can recite all the words by memory. Yeah. Um, and, uh, hey, you know, like... Uh, hey, uh, mind if I borrow this car? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you for a bargain. Right. <laughs> and he's, like, talking to himself yeah. as a joke. He's talking to himself, but he talks to himself in, like, again, like, this very jovial kind of way. 
Um, you know, like yeah. he's got like a mannequin in Except, his apartment with like a, a right. hat on it. Who you calls know, him Caesar? Yeah, and he, hey Caesar, <laughs> he plays chess. It's your with move him. in this chess game. Yeah, uh, but but also in this movie, like he meets the the woman, and then you know the rest of the the gang that goes along with her. Pretty like like pretty early in the movie comparatively to the other two. I think for for all of them, it kind of feels like sort of the halfway point, what? if only because the first half is kind of boring. I I don't know because they both happen except for, for like, except for the Will Smith one. But I mean the Will Smith sort of one that definitely happens like at the very end, and I think it's the same with the Last Man on Earth. They all happen like within thirty minutes of the movie. Right, ending, but I'm just saying the all... first half of Last Man on Earth before the woman shows up, it just kind of all bleeds together because <laughs> it's sort of boring. And also like I don't know. I have a rule where, like, I never count flashbacks in the runtime. That's weird. It doesn't <laughs> because, make sense. Because flashbacks always feel sort of separate from the movie timeline to me. So I, I mean, just because they're separate from out. the timeline doesn't mean they're not part of the runtime. Structurally, though. they don't they don't necessarily always fit in where they're supposed to. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just wrong. There, yeah, I, I always sort of I always sort of. Set them but, aside. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, like, you know, all these movies are about an hour and a half long. And in The Last Man on Earth yeah. and in I Am a Legend, uh, you know, the woman shows up within the final 30 minutes of the film. In this one, it's like literally like halfway through. And technically, I think a little bit before that, too, because he, he sees mm. her pretending to be a mannequin in the store that he's, like, hanging out in. And then he, like, chases her <laughs> out. And it's, like, the funniest chase scene in the world. Because <laughs> he thinks he's going crazy. Yeah. It's great. He's just, like, chasing, you know, what he assumes to be a phantom of his delusion yeah. of a mannequin come to life. Um, but that's, boy, is it funny. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, I... There's, so it's so notable much. in this case that the woman is uh, is African American. Yeah. She's got a big afro, very seventies. So seventies, and you know. her first speaking line. So so you know, Charleston Heston ends up getting captured by the vampires, and they bring him to the little room for the questioning. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, uh, he's taken to this like stadium where they're basically going to try to like burn him at the stake. Um, at the last minute these bright lights come on and uh you know the stadium lights come on and the the vampires are freaking out and he's rescued by this mysterious man and oh, it's the woman he saw in the store and her first lines are just like up against the wall mother and was pointing a gun at him um it's very <laughs> aggressive yeah i forgot about that uh, oh it's it's wonderful it's so good um i because it's, I mean, it's so much of the time, like, this was what they thought was progressive, was, like, the old white guy max on the really young black woman. Right. Who gets fully nude multiple times in the film. Isn't it only the one? Just, no, it's it's twice. It's It oh. goes from them, like, kissing to, like, cut to she's naked yeah. and they're done. And then, and then when she's shopping later, later on, she's, like, going shopping and she's just fully nude, like, she's, picking out she's clothes. She's got some brown undies on. Oh, okay. Well, but pretty much fully <laughs> What I'm saying nude. is excessive nudity. Yeah. And the, but at the time, super progressive. Like, one of the first interracial kisses on film. Yeah. You know, not, it doesn't come before the famous Shatner and, uh. Uh, and Ahura um, 
kiss on Star Trek, but it's still very early on right. in and, terms of representing interracial and relationships. And with Charleston Heston being, you know, the star that he was at the time. like Right, but it kind of echoes, in the previous film, him kissing, what, the the ape yeah, woman. Yeah, the, the dumb And then human. the ape woman going, but you're so damn ugly. <laughs> well, no one um, gets called ugly in this. Um, right, that's you good. Know, and, and uh, it is... I did see... I, I saw an interview with Whoopi Goldberg and, and Charlton Heston yeah. where Whoopi Goldberg was talking to him about it. And he, he, she was just like, you know, I, sometimes I think that the the interracial relationships on film, it's even more taboo than it was back then. And he said, well, that's just terrible. You know, I said, sometimes I think, and then he just like leans in and kisses her. Oh, God. And then she just starts cracking up. She, I mean, yeah. she thought it was funny, and then she did it again when she was on The View. She was recounting the story, and she just kissed her um, female white co-host. Uh-huh. Um, and so, I, I don't know, there's some kind of weird regressive progressivism, yeah. uh, you know, where it's it's reducing the black woman always to the the object of desire, but at least he's not disgusted with her, you know? I mean, yeah, <laughs> small steps, I guess, you know, small it's, steps. it's, it's still the seventies. We're all still Baby figuring steps. it out. Hollywood, especially. Um, yeah. So, so basically after that, they, they leave the city. Um, and, uh, he, he meets the rest of the gang and the gang, are like young people right. have kind of a and they're resistance. They're definitely like hippie-ish. Yeah, they're very yeah. hippie-ish. Um, they're like young people have a resistance to it, which you know definitely echoes our current <laughs> pandemic. Um, you know, uh, but right, except for the except for his the the woman's little brother. Yes. Which she, you know she can't be like married like in uh the pre like in the previous version. Right. Right. There's no like. Well, lost family in this. Yeah. Version. Also in this one, um, you know, Charleston Heston didn't have a family before this. He was just a cool scientist who survived a helicopter explosion. Uh, <laughs> that's that's his backstory in this one, and it's great. Um, just yeah. if you're wondering. Um, but yeah, so the little brother is sick, so they have to take him back to the city to the lab so that they can do experiments with Charleston Heston's blood. Um, so again, we get another one where the the cure uh, is the blood of the protagonist um, who has right. developed antibodies for whatever. Oh, we didn't even reasons. mention that the reason that the that uh, the reason that Vincent Price and the book guy are immune <laughs> is because he was he he assumes it was because he was bitten by a bat once, yeah. which had the virus in it in a weakened form. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's great. That's very I love good. it. Um, and then he killed the bat, so nobody else got bit, so yeah. that's why he's the last man. It's great. It's great. Um, <laughs> bats. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, basically, they, they go on a quick hospital run, get some supplies, they're able to cure the brother, um, but while they're sort of waiting for that to work, they have, like, a sexy dinner with, like, <laughs> romantic music, but then the vampires start right, but it gets attacking. interrupted by the vampires, and then immediately afterward, they just get right back into yeah, it. Yeah, no, he murders a vampire by, like, shooting him out a window, and then, like, they're like, where were we? <laughs> just have, like, post-murder sex. 
Um, it's very oh strange. Uh, so then the right. next day, she's like, hooray, this is working, so I'm going to go shopping to have some clothes to wear in the new, like, new settlement we're going to make. And, you know, Charles and Heston lets, lets the rest of the people know that you should come by tomorrow and we'll all go off to find new land together. And uh, the the guy who who helped with the stadium right. lights. But it's before. it's important. We sort of skipped over that. Yeah. She mentions briefly that she and her brother were once a part of the family. Yeah. That they were sort of invited in because they were infected, and it was assumed that they would eventually completely turn into the infected beings. But then her brother went into a coma, so then they well, left. Well, they ran away before that, I think. Right, they that's right. They ran away and then he started to get worse and went into a coma. Yeah. Um so it was looking like he wasn't even going to be fully turned into a vampire dude, he was just going to die. Yeah. So they went looking for a cure. And and I think, you know, the idea is that like the family is like this cult, so there's an attraction to return to it. Right, because I, you know, they they created order out of the chaos of, you know, right. the the apocalypse basically. And so the little brother, who's kind of like the dog in this. Yeah, I know. Version, um cuz they didn't have a dog in this one. So I guess the little the little black boy is the dog. Oof. Um uncomfortable. And life. so he he he's like I am super judging you Charlton Heston for killing these totally sentient beings like beings instead of just running away it's like well i was defending myself you know they're pretty clearly trying to kill me because i represent the old ways and whatnot um right like this this like, kid sort of discounts the fact that these people have like an ideology you know like they're not just right, like, but 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 charlton heston is discounting the fact that these people are people yes that's they're not just enough. monsters yeah so that's a heavy theme in this one but yeah so the little brother goes to like say Hey, you know, if you want, we can cure you of your disease. And they're like, and Matthias is like, this is no disease. What you have is a disease. You've been damned and cursed to be of the old ways. So we must kill you. And then they do. Yep. Um, but yeah, the sister, she hasn't been given the vaccine yet. Mm-mm. So. So she turns while she was out shopping. It just happened. It's just one scene she's fine, and then the next scene she pops up and she's vampire, yep. total vampire. Yep, and it's great because the next scene, so basically Charleston Heston goes after the little brother um, and tries to save him and kills a bunch more vampires after he sees that uh, he's he's been murdered. Actually, both before and after he sees that the little brother, Richie, has been murdered. Um, yeah. And then... He he heads back to the apartment to try to tell Lisa about what happened to her brother, and she's there, but she's a vampire! And she's wearing, Ooh. like, this ridiculous black cloak, and it's wonderful. Yeah. well, they all were wearing the black cloaks. Yeah, they were all we they're all wearing the black cloaks, but now she's in, like, an act like vampire queen kind of, like, setup, and it's right. great. Um... But then, you know, not only is Lisa there, so is Matthias and all of the other vampires. And they make him watch as they smash up his lab. Um, and, you know, they also slash up his art. And they're like, <laughs> it was... Yeah, because, yeah, it's they're equating all civilization together, you know. Right, but they literally but... use, like, a fireball slingshot 
earlier. Right, but that's good because it's old technology. <laughs> but how is like a so, painting? Yeah, it's super inconsistent what technology they're willing to use and why. But the the idea of the cleansing fire, which they yes. talk about a lot, I think that kind of works. Yeah. It's just that they're using a fire slingshot instead of just <laughs> normally setting fire to his house. Yeah. Um, it's, it's great. I don't know. There's a lot it's of fun pyrotechnics. Right, because they have to explain why this civilized like group of people aren't just using the same weapons that uh, Charlton Heston is. Right. Though, the so one, they're like, well, they hate technology the one, and they love fire. <laughs> the one vampire uh, who who tries to attack um, Charlton Heston before he and and uh, the character Lisa have sex has a gun. Um, he does right. just have a handgun. And he was kind of of the camp is like, well, we should use the old weapons to to destroy this this old man, um, this man of the old ways. Right. But then Matthias is very much like, no, then the curse of the old world will return. We'll be no better than right because it was people. our hubris and war yeah. making that led to destruction because we invented the germ that right. turned everybody into zombies. Right. So so Charleston Heston, uh, you know, is basically escaping with Lisa after. They destroy his lab and stuff. Um, but then Matthias like calls out to Lisa in just a great scene, um, and then picks up a spear and throws it from like a top balcony at Charleston Heston <laughs> and just gets him square in the chest. Um, Boy, does it! And man. then he's just kind of dying, bleeding out on this weird sculpture for fountain hours. for hours. Like, and he's still like standing yeah. at the end of it. Um. So, and then Lisa like tries to go back to Matthias, but then also it like feels bad, so kind of just like lays down by his side. Um. And then it cuts to the next morning, and the whole group of of hippies has come down from the mountain to to get the cure, the vaccine. Um but they find Heston bleeding out, but still conscious. And he hands them the, the vial uh, and says, Lisa, and points at a bush where she's just like hiding. Drink of my blood and thou shalt be healed. I mean, literally. Eat of my flesh. Literally. Because, uh, okay, there, there's a moment yeah. where a little girl earlier in the movie is like, are you God? And, <laughs> you He's know. like, you're damn right. I'm Charlton Heston. <laughs> yeah. I played Moses. <laughs> He doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't answer, but Lisa's like, oh, well, we got to see if he's even a doctor before we go to God. Uh, but then, uh-huh. you know, at the end of the movie, we, we sort of get that, yeah, no, he is God because he, he dies in a very what? Christ-like crucified kind of position and, you know, his blood is One of the is things is, and... in that scene, yeah. Lisa's just there, but like in a cloak yeah. and it's totally daytime. Yeah. The whole point is that the vampires only come out at night because they're sensitive to the sun. Yeah. If just wearing a cloak worked, why 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 was he ever safe <laughs> in know. the daytime? I don't understand. I don't understand either. The inclusion of Lisa going with them at the end is very strange. I think she probably should have just also died. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's whatever. So that's so this they, one. They're gonna start the new Eden. Yeah. So this one ends with you know a Jesus parallel and. Uh, I think this one is also unique, and it's got the shortest flashback to the the post. Um, yeah, because he doesn't have any family world. to get you to you know feel sorry for him. Right, for. right. Because it's not about feeling sorry for him. It's just like a fun adventure romp Adding through the apocalypse. Badass. Yeah, yeah. Um, this was my favorite um. by far. <laughs> I I'm so happy I watched it. 
if you're looking for a great oh, quarantine movie, highly recommend Omega Man. Um, it's solid. And a lot of it serves as, as inspiration for the Will Smith version. Um, does it? Specifically the way that it opens. Uh, you know, I with guess. him driving around in the car Though, with a gun. <laughs> I will say this. In the, in the I Am Legend version, it truly does just feel like the opening is a car commercial. You know, like... The opening to what? Sorry. The opening for I Am Legend. It feels more like a car commercial than anything else to me. Whereas... <sighs> no, I don't think so. I it's don't like know. very, like, the difficulty of living and trying to hunt for food in a post-apocalyptic landscape. I really like the way that they designed the world of New of Manhattan. You know, what it looks like. There's, you know, wildlife has sort of entered the streets. There's, like, lions escape from the zoo over trope. time. and. Well, the animals it's, it's, a, it's a classic trope. It's classic. I don't like it. I don't think it adds anything. It just it feels very forced. It's it's about the it's about the world returning to nature, yeah. which is part of the, the part of the post apocalyptic trope. Yeah. In in any case, um, I think you just I think you just need to get some distance from this and think of it not as like a modern movie, but as a specifically two thousand seven movie. I mean. Um, Here's the thing. It's, I had it's never... dated, but it's what it's for, you know? <laughs> I, I had never seen any of these before. Right. Uh, before, before we started doing research for this, this episode. Um, and, like, maybe it's because I started with I Am Legend, you know? Like, I should have started with... Uh, I started with I Am Legend. I liked it. I did not. I just... I Listen, it's... Will Smith does it for me, all right? I think he I think does he's, nothing. This is one of his... I think this is one of his good performances. Oh, disagree. Um, so much. He, he's out here. He's he's talking to himself a little bit, but he's mostly talking to his dog, Sam, who is the best boy. Sam is um, definitely a good, good girl. Um, but... Um, she, just the sweetest dog that you ever did see. Yeah. And, uh, you know... He Will Smith really cares about that dog to the point where like that dog might run into a building that's dark and he will freak the F out, you know, going after him, being mm. like Sam, you know better than to run into a dark building full of vampires. Well the dog is his replacement daughter. Right. Well, I like it. Um <laughs> the, they have, you know, a strong connection, much stronger than Vincent Price and his dog. I mean, yes, the dog exists for like 12 seconds in Vincent Price's life. This dog, you know, <laughs> has been with Will Smith for the, the whole intervening three years. Um, and, you know, again, right. was the, his last connection to his daughter. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think something is like for Omega Man, when they were trying to shoot the city as being like a desolate, isolated, you know, everyone's gone. Uh -huh. They just sort of went to the business district and went there on like a Saturday morning because nobody's in the office. <laughs> So it just kind of looks like it does right now, but emptier. I mean, but I Whereas, like that. That that to me feels more no, eerie. No, I like the I like than... the uh, no, I like the grass sort of growing up through the cracks in the pavement, and you know, I just think... the rundown destruction of people who've you know clearly like raided all the different stores to get supplies because they're completely quarantined. I mean, and I, then, like, I think there's a different aesthetic going on, you know, and, sure. and I don't think one is... Well, I think one's a little more realistic than the other. 
I don't know. I mean, they certainly did a good job of making the business district look run down. Like, it definitely looked like there'd at least been a riot or no, something. No, they didn't do anything. They didn't change it at all. That's, that's the point. That's it just not true. They, they definitely changed things. Like, I mean, no, they can't smash all the buildings on, like, all the windows on a building or something. But, like... Right. That's what I mean. I, I don't know. To me, there's, there's a greater eeriness in... Um, and, and there's a greater sense of at least, you know, I, you know, I just said, I felt like Omega man had the least amount of like isolation, but I, I feel like that first couple of opening scenes, like you do feel very isolated. And, right. and I think right. it's the fact that things look the same, like there could be a person walking around the corner at any moment, but then there's just not that like, that's, that's more eerie to me than this like reclaimed nature city you know not that i'm saying it's bad i just like i prefer the one over the other well i just think in terms of like the performance i will smith and his replacement daughter like (laughs) that works for me in a way that you know charlton heston cracking wise to himself about you know like uh, you know this movie sucks uh uh like I don't know. That doesn't work as much. No, I Also, I agree. you know, the the isolation craziness, like Charlton Heston he 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 isn't that antisocial when he finally reconnects with right. uh, with humanity, but he has this one moment where he goes insane and thinks all the phones are ringing, all yeah. the uh, pay phones. And that's like the one moment of his separation from reality whereas in Last Man on Earth that's like a major theme and in the book I Am Legend that's like the theme is right. isolation drives you crazy. Right. Um, and I would say I am legend definitely is more about that sense of isolation than Omega man is. Right. And I, I think it works. I mean, like he's got this routine, like but fine. he sleeps in a bathtub with his dog and just like listens to the screams outside at night. And like, it's horrifying. Yeah. In a way that like, but it's like, the banality of evil almost you know like what do you mean it's the idea that like you know to make true art it must be like suffering and pain and deal with like evil but you know evil and pain and suffering are really boring (laughs) and like a lot of i disagree with that i don't know know. like i've I've never heard that uh, i I mean i i'm sort of mis misrepresenting it but you know it's the idea that like to be deep you don't have to have like pain and suffering necessarily um no but when you're depicting isolation you're you know we're not doing hugh neutron you know in his (laughs) city like driving around in a car crashing cars and then stealing pies we're talking about you know what would it be like to really feel like you're the last man on earth. And I feel like this is like the closest that we get. He does have a routine and we spend a lot of time just in a quiet with his routine as opposed to just him cracking one liners all the time. He's I agree. silent. We don't have, we also don't have like a voiceover just telling us what's going on. That's true. He's, he's um, just going through his day. And I feel like it's, but that really his works. day feels more like they turn these mundane things into like action set pieces yeah which you know i but that i don't makes like sense right he ends up in a he ends up in a spooky house why not but i mean i don't care about the spooky house you know it's the like i'm gonna race a ferrari through the streets of new york to chase some deer it's like that's the worst okay, way to but chase again, deer that's ever borrowed from 
That, again, that's borrowed from Omega Man. I mean, but know? it didn't have to be. Omega Man had an entirely different tone then. And and I'll say this for the Omega Man car scene. You know, he's just, like, cruising around the streets slowly and, like, listening to pretty chill radio. He's not, like, on the hunt. You know, uh, um, an alpha man. That's not true. Like, he goes crazy just trying to speed through town and he <laughs> crashes his car. I mean, he d- by the end, but it starts very mellow and chill, you know? Um, and, yeah. and for Will Smith, it's like, you know, he and his dog are, are on the hunt. They're looking for, for prey and, you know, it, like, like, I'm not saying it's, it's entirely bad. I'm just saying, I don't think it, he's also it looking works. for like canned food. I don't know. It's, but then it, why are you it includes the mundane down. for sure? I mean, I guess it, it, let me, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just trying to express what I love about this movie. Okay. And it's like, it's a lot of the first half of the movie, not as much the second half. Okay. Um, I think that's, you know, and that's not, fair. not so much when he meets the woman. Although I do like the scenes with, with the woman as well. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Basically. Yeah. So basically he's, he's going around, he's setting traps, he's capturing these vampires, but they're more in this version. They're, they're sort of modernized to be mindless zombies who just happen to be sensitive to, to sunlight. Yeah. Right? They're like they very like fast in this one though. They're, they're very like, well, they just have normal, like human speed. It seems like it's not like when he's on in his car, he can outrun them. It's just like, but they do there's seem a threat to have, like, if a bunch of them are chasing him. Yeah. They, they do seem to have kind of like a superhuman strength though. Um, yeah. Well, they just don't have any, like they, they don't have any, they don't feel pain. Maybe right. like, if you shoot them, they'll still keep running at you. Right. It's very zombie. It's yeah, just yeah. very zombie. They can pry the like boards off of your house because they just don't care if it hurts them. You know, like humans could probably somewhat do that if they were really like just punching with all their strength. But it right. Hurt. And and um, Will Smith definitely just views these things as basically like wild feral animals. You know, like they don't have emotions. At one point, he says they don't they don't love. They don't hate. They just you know, sort of right. terrorize. And, and I think it was great because it's foreshadowed at least. So we were watching a cut, uh, not the theatrical cut of the movie. So some of these things might have been different in the theatrical cut. Yeah. Um, but in the director's cut, you know, it's foreshadowed where the monster like kind of peeks his head out um, into the sun and then gets hurt. And he goes, well, that was stupid. He shouldn't do that. But it was right after he had kidnapped this girl vampire zombie thing yeah. zombie this is um, the one where it's and so it's hardest. sort of foreshadowing that eventually we're going to find out that they do actually have a social framework right well and it's the sort of thing where you know anytime in a movie like this when a character is like they're just animals you know you know they're going to be proven wrong by the end of the movie it's it's almost reverse right, but that's the age. thing in the in the in the original movie they're not i know they're, you're right because it's a bad move it's a bad theatrical cut <laughs> um where they were like they tested it with audiences and the audiences were like i like it better when i don't have to think about moral questions <laughs> uh, i mean that's seriously what happened they like showed the movie where it's you know spoilers in the end you find out that the monsters aren't so bad after all they just care about themselves and they don't want to get kidnapped and experimented on right um but yeah, like 
in that version, like everyone was super upset and they preferred the version where Will Smith grabs a grenade and then blows himself up along with all of the bad guys. So that he could, but, like, but in, people in, suck. in that version, it does suck. The, the like final cut, I don't know, the theatrical cut, it, um, it, it's definitely a much worse ending. Also, it's like a very like God like centric kind of ending um, right. I mean, that exists in both versions. This discussion about like you know, it's the it's the new new atheist nihilism of the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and I guess now, and I guess it continued into the late two thousands. Yeah. With like you know, classic internet atheism, that he would be like, "This world is so terrible. You can't tell me there's a god who would cause this." And then the religious like Latina who's religious because she's a Latina in a fictional movie, right? And all, you know, all Hispanic characters in fiction are incredibly religious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it becomes this story about, like, can you believe in a possible future after the apocalypse, after tons of death? And, yeah, it becomes kind of like the movie Signs uh, <laughs> in, in, like, his family dies and gives him, like, a secret encoded Jesus message that like butterfly means peace or yeah. butterfly means death or predestination yeah. or something. Literally all of that and happens. And so he blows himself up because he sees a butterfly. Well, so that happens in, in both versions. Um, this, this sort of butterfly message where in, in, yeah, in, in the theatrical cut, he, the zombie smashes kind of like a butterfly pattern into the door. And then he's like, butterfly what if it's my blood my blood must be a cure and which makes no sense and comes out of literally nowhere and then he hands his blood no it's not it's not his blood is the cure he takes the blood from oh the, uh, it's the zombie it's the zombie the that's right cut. yeah and gives the blood to um the woman and the kid yeah and says you guys get out of here i'll hold them off because the woman also has a uh a, a butterfly tattoo on her neck oh. the the Latina woman. Um, and so she was fated to be there, which is exactly what she said earlier in the movie. Yeah. And she was fated to be there so that he could give her the cure there and she go. could take it to Vermont. Yeah. Uh, where the, there's potentially a settlement of, of other humans who survive. Yeah. But in the director's cut, which is far superior, the, the, butterfly symbology it's still connected to like a fate metaphor because his kid still shouts at him like look dad i'm making a butterfly right and like a flashback that happens for like 10 seconds um right but the butterfly in the scene is that the beast the zombie beast makes a picture of a butterfly in order to signal that he just wants his wife back right because she's got Um, a butterfly tattoo right it's interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I, I like that ending I'd, because I definitely prefer that ending. I think it's almost more complex than the original ending. Yeah. Because in the original, you know, in the ending for the book, it's all about like, okay, well, what comes after humans, you know, and this is the replacement. And it's kind of like just sort of a more brutal kind of fascisty society of what are basically humans. And then in this version, it's kind of like there's no guarantee that humanity survives after this it might just be these monsters that are left right and we're forced to even see the humanity in them Mm -hmm. 
So that's I thought that was really powerful. I agree. Um, I I like that ending. To even see I to just, even see humanity in balding, wrinkly, uh, squinty-eyed albino uh, monsters with distended jaws. Yeah. Um. God, the CGI is very weird in this movie. Right, but this this ties back to our conversation about the uncanny valley it does. from before, which is that the monsters are uncanny. Yeah, like you can't see them as human. Because they're not even there. Um, <laughs> it's spooky. I don't know. It kind of works for me. Yeah, it's it's definitely spooky. Um, it's like an effective use of Uncanny Valley, even if it's <laughs> accidental, because they were trying to make it seem real. <laughs> yeah. Do do we want to talk about some of the like stranger parts of, of this movie? Um, Shrek? I mean, definitely the Shrek scene, but also the like... <laughs> Crying at the hot mannequin part that's just uncomfortable. Oh my god, I love crying at the hot mannequin. I don't understand. Well, no, no, Fred is a different... Fred's, Fred's... I don't understand the shit with Fred. Could you explain that to me? Fred was amazing. Okay, this is, again, it's foreshadowing. It's why this is a good movie. So, Fred is the guy that he's, like, at the video store or something... Uh, I think it was a video store. Right. And he just names all the mannequins different things. Yeah. And, like, he goes up to, like, one that he names Fred, and he's like, do you know what her name is? And, like, like he's asking for her number to go flirt with her or something. Um, and so Fred is this character in his, like, delusional, isolated mind. So then when later in the movie, he goes outside and he just sees Fred just sitting there. He's like... I didn't move you. Am I going insane? Have I completely lost it? Or is the mannequin alive somehow? Because he's not considered the possibility, which is super obvious in retrospect, that the vampires moved it to trap him. Yes, exactly. Because basically he stumbles into his own trap, which, or either his own trap. But it's not his own trap. It's actually a trap that they set for him. Yeah. But he thinks he set it. Right. Because he thinks he's losing his mind, but he's actually just not considering the humanity of others. Right. So it's, it's both a good way to establish that he isn't sure of his own reality and it establishes more foreshadowing that of the, uh, the director's I don't know. Per- personally, I find this scene to be a both confusing um, and <laughs> just that to begin with, and b overacted as hell. Like Will Smith it's is so like, good. The acting no, is so I good. hate it. Fred, what are you doing out there, Fred? Fred, if you're alive, you better tell me, Fred. It's so. It's. It's just uncomfortable <laughs> to watch, because um, like. It's, I don't know. It's basically my favorite scene in the movie. So, you know, okay, this but is so, our different taste so, yeah, coming I guess. out again. But here's the thing. Do you like it genuinely or do you like it ironically? I don't make a clear distinction between those things. It is goofy. It's overacted as hell. And but yet like it, it has emotional resonance for okay. me. Okay. All right. That's that's fair. Um yeah, so so likewise but this Shrek. Is, yeah. Likewise Shrek. Can we talk Shrek? Yeah, alright, let's talk Shrek. <laughs> so after, so they take the, so the basically, scene from, hold on. from After, Omega Man, right? Yeah, it's basically the scene from Omega Man where he's quoting the movie because he's he's seen it so many times. But, you know, the words that he's specifically quoting are about being alone and having friends and deciding to stick with a group. And, you know, it's a, at a pivotal moment where 
he has to decide. From Donkey, the character from Shrek. I know, where he has to decide if he's going <laughs> to stick with the woman and this kid or if he's going to stay in New York and try to find a cure or something. And and when he, when he throws the plate on the ground, he says, I was saving that bacon, <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> Uh, oh my god! I love I love so many things about this movie. I I really I really recommend it to anybody, and uh, you know even if, know. if if Hannah does not find it charming, I don't. The fact that he's literally reciting like almost two minutes of the movie Shrek yeah, to us, and because like, he's because in the apocalypse, given the choice to watch any movie any number of times, because home video exists the way that it didn't in the seventies, right. he has decided to watch Shrek. 300 times. <laughs> right. Mind-blowing. Fantastic. And it just made me think, like, what if instead of Shrek it was Shark Tale? Oh, my God. Starring Will Smith. Whoa. Totally, like, <laughs> blowing the movie wide open, man. <laughs> so, I mean, there's goofy stuff like that, which I love. Yeah. But there's also, like, really, like, heart-wrenching stuff, like the flashback... I, Did you hate the flashbacks? I hate the flashbacks. The only heart-wrenching part in this movie Man. for me is the dog dying. Spoilers, the dog, the dog dies. Dying is so and tragic. it's really sad. Because basically the dog dies because protecting him after he gets caught in the trap from Fred. Um, yeah, but then he gets infected and starts turning into a vampire right. dog. And so he's got to strangle him to death. So he literally has to strangle oh. his dog to death. And it, like that's very it's sad. So rough. And his reaction to that is sad. But also my thought was like, dude, you have a gun. like. Yeah, but he, I don't know. He just like... I think he sees this as sort of the more humane way to end it. I guess. Him. I, I don't mean, know. Whether that's true or not. Just because he's, like, holding him. Also, like, he's in a lab um, full of drugs. Like, you couldn't find, like, a like a solution. Well, he's, he's got to stop it from biting his face off. I mean, I it's, mean, a, right, it's but, a rabbit. But, like, before that, he gives it some kind of injection that, you know, I assumed he was putting it to sleep then. But... Maybe he was. Uh, I, don't I don't know. know. It's, I, it's unclear. It, it might be just a confusingly shot scene. Yeah, but I mean. but I, I just did, despite any inconsistencies or sort of like logical questions around it, I, I did find it emotionally moving and it did make me sad. The flashback shit couldn't give a right. crap about. It, I don't know. It it did nothing well, for I, me. I, and and they draw really the flashback it, especially out. Especially the... So you think, that, I mean, that's potentially, yeah, the editing maybe dilutes it a bit. For, for me, the, the point that, that really works for me is the border crossing. The, the scanning people yes. for pupil dilation, which is a symptom of the disease. Mm -hmm. And there's a moment when Will Smith's wife gets scanned and she comes up, it's a false positive. And I'd imagine there's millions of false positives right. because this is such a minor... Um, symptom you know the the dilated pupils you could have that for any number right. of reasons just for lack of sleep can give you pupil dilation <laughs> you were um, hitting the pipe right before this you know like <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah i mean it's like a this really scary tense moment where you think like will smith is going to lose his wife and she's going to be trapped on the island full of infected people mm -hmm. and you know, he, like, pulls rank and says, like, I'm a colonel, scan her again, scan her again. And it, like, I don't know, it makes me feel like this could happen in the near future, you know, as society moves more towards this, like, strict border control and pandemic mm -hmm. is, you know, caused by people trying to get home to their families. And, you know, it, it becomes this really dangerous time um, for people. 
No, I, I agree. I, I, I like the and border crossing scene. Military. But there's like an interesting moment there where there's a woman who um, is infected and she's got her son with her. And her son is like clear, according to her. And she basically like begs Will Smith to take her son. Right. And he According does to it. her, but you know, I think it's, imp- yeah, it's like possible that it, it wasn't, and but but he still does it, yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't like, he like looks at her and sort of like shrugs, like, mm, sorry, lady. And it's like, okay, not a fan of that. Well, it's because you can't do it for everybody. You know, it's like, where do you draw the line? It's like, a, it's the worst possible situation. Um, I think I think that's why it works is because it shows the inhumanity of people sure. in crisis. Yeah, and yeah. then you know, then, same thing you know, when when the helicopter goes to take off, a bunch of people just desperate to survive leap onto the helicopter well, in they, an attempt to get away, and they end up dragging it down. Well, they leap onto onto another helicopter that's taking off. Well, there's, yeah, there's two helicopters. Yeah. So but, one has but Will the Smith one where people are, have access to jump onto it. They do. Yeah. And they just leap onto it, and it weighs it down and throws it off its course, and the helicopter crashes into the helicopter carrying. But uh, we Will find Smith's this out over the course of like two different flashbacks. Like there's the border crossing flashback, right. I, and then there's the one where they like say a prayer before his wife and kid take off in the helicopter, and then it explodes. Right. I mean, this criticism is more than fair. I, I but I, I just it doesn't bother me as much. You know, it's sort of like played off as a twist, but obviously it could have been edited differently. Yeah. Such that all the flashbacks were together and that probably would have been better. And then immediately after that, they blow up the all the bridges connecting Manhattan to the rest of the right. city. So you're truly quarantined. Yeah. I just think it's so impactful. But, you know, I can get how it's frustrating having that information doled out piecemeal right and and i think what's different about the flashbacks in this one is we don't really get to see the family being like a nice family together at all we literally start the flashbacks where the army has come to like he's brought the army to their house and is evacuating his wife and child and trying to get them out of manhattan before the bridges close um and then right i mean i i feel like yeah i i get that well, you know, I, I think that, that's a little disappointing, but I think I think it would have thrown off the timing of everything. I, I um, here's my thought, though. Like, you don't necessarily need that whole scene where he's trying to smuggle them out early. You know, all you need is one scene of them being like a nice family pre all of this happening. And maybe you get a little right. bit I of just him. Feel like when you start getting into like, oh, you could improve it this way or that way. I, I think I, I think it becomes you don't know exactly how it would have worked if it was different. That's that's true. I don't. Um, if we're missing them as a real family, yeah. it's because it was a deliberate choice. Okay, well, I didn't like that choice. It made me not right. care about their deaths at all. And, you know, I definitely cared about the effect of their death on him. You know, like when right. the I, I found sort of the way they chose to visually and sonically portray his PTSD to be pretty effective. Right. Um, you know, and, and like, See, they... I, I was just as impacted by like his daughter being incredibly annoying during a crisis. <sighs> and then that's like his last moments with her is her being like, look, daddy, a butterfly. And, and him just go, shut up. I'm trying to drive. <laughs> right. Um, that's like, that just adds to the tragedy. Cause you just assume they had like a decent life. I mean, yeah, you know, like, you you see sort of the ephemera of them in the house that he, you know, hasn't really touched and definitely still seems, um, you know, emotionally right. attached to. 
Uh, right. But and Shrek. But I, I think, you know, their loss is also kind of softened by the fact that he does have this dog that's a connection to him. That's why, you know, for me, the most interesting part of the movie was going to be post the dog dying and then seeing what what he was going to do now. But then he just right, decides he to just kill suicidal, Yeah, then he just yeah. decides to kill himself and then the woman shows up. And, like, yeah, I don't it know. goes that, downhill. Sure, it was, like, a bit of a weak kind of a deus ex machina. Like, but, you know, I would forgive any of these flaws because it's not supposed to be a masterpiece. It's supposed to be an insane zombie apocalypse movie where Will Smith is the only draw to the theater. Yeah, you know? but he does. You're he coming does, to see Will. I don't care about Will Smith. Like... I like Will. I mean, he's fine, but he's not what's gonna put my ass in a seat. I wish he did a. I wish he did a rap for this one. You know, what would it be? Like, <laughs> I am legend. I am legend. Da 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 oh da da da, da edgend. Um, <sighs> Yeah, it'd be really good. I mean, it'd be, it'd listen, be better than Men in Black. I, I, rap. This was not my favorite Will Smith performance. I think, you know, he overacts quite a bit. And oh, yeah. the, the script does not particularly develop. Like, like, there's a lot of action in this, but I feel like we don't get a lot of character. You know, like his character is just very generic. I feel generic. like his character is conveyed through through his body language. No, I understand, his but his... Act, you know, through his business. It feels, too, it feels like action hero generic, you know? It doesn't feel specific enough in any particular way. Well, I mean, I think it is supposed to be kind of generalized as, like, this is how a person behaves in an apocalypse. I mean, I, this is how a person behaves in the absence of, of other people yeah. when you're just completely alone. Yeah, but I mean, like... With monsters. You know, I, I prefer Vincent Price's, like, weird, like... Don't get me wrong, I love Vincent know? Price. And, I love Charlton Heston. Yeah. I um, love Will like, Smith. They like, are all different sides of this character that I did not think had sides. Um, it, I just, I, I love I these just movies. I think the um, Will Smith side is. Is, is the weakest personally. If, if, okay. if, if other people out there think that, you know, uh, it, it, sh- it should be another one of these, feel free. Maybe we'll release a, a poll with this one when we post it. Um, I th- I think there definitely will be another one of these at some point because oh, the, sure. what I keep seeing is like for fans of the book they're all really disappointed that the movies change so much <laughs> of the book and I'm like I don't care about the I mean the what book fidelity fan to isn't... the source material yeah Ugh. yeah it, that's one I hate that like let the let the filmmakers make their choices right. you know if they're worse choices if they're weird choices like you know it's an adaptation. Putting, Putting him in a safari jacket and a pink shirt and having him <laughs> blast AK forty seven. Right. And, and, I mean, like <laughs> that's. Windows. I I can sympathize with both sides of that particular equation, just because right. you know, as a someone who very much formerly was in the the book is better and how dare you change anything about the book kind of camp. Um, and you know, as I've <laughs> grown and matured as a person, sure. I've also come to understand that. adapting shit's hard and um you know if people need to make some changes to to make it work in a new format maybe that's for the better uh so so you know i definitely sympathize with with both sides of that particular argument right i think if anything for these films because it's something that keeps getting readapted over and over again and there's no definitive adaptation Mm -hmm. 
I think that makes it a little bit better. Yeah. As compared to something like Harry Potter, where we might not get another one for who knows how long, and it might be completely different. Right. And then, you know, it's like fidelity, you know, closeness to the source material, that stuff matters if there's only going to be one adaptation. But if there's <laughs> three equally insane, campy, ridiculous adaptations. Right. Not, not to um, mention all of the other things that, you know, it inspired, like Night of the Living Dead, and then right. all of the things that then that inspired, and, you know... Right. I mean, I don't think I don't think that it comes at night. The, the 2017 movie uh-huh. would exist without I Am Legend. Right. I think you know certainly a lot of fiction owes itself to the the person who jump started this genre of it's it's one person or two people right. fighting off hordes and hordes of undead monsters yeah. at the end of the world caused by a virus, um, something real. For sure. Um, so I think that about does it for us. Um, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Um, I hope you are all staying safe, uh, in your homes and that you and your families are all, uh, doing well during these pretty, pretty frightening times. Um, and yeah, just thank you. Thank you for, uh, making us part of your, your quarantine, social distancing, (laughs) social distancing routine. We, we really appreciate it. All right. Hope you have a a good, safe, healthy rest of your quarantine. Bye, guys. Bye.